Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. And with me, as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Today is our last podcast of the year. I think we're going to save all of our 2018 predictions and our 2017 look back for our first podcast next year. Maybe because we can just predict stuff that's already happened in 2018 <laughs> and be guaranteed to be right. But that's okay because we still have plenty to talk about. We haven't mentioned our main man, Warren Buffett, in a while. Berkshire just passed $300,000 per share, though I, I think it kind of dropped a little bit below it today. But we might as well use that occasion to have a Buffett-themed podcast. Let's start by talking about a huge merger Monday for food mergers uh, and what it means for the food industry because Warren Buffett, one of his biggest positions is Kraft Heinz, which is in the food industry. And then we'll move on to... Uh, just a more general Berkshire discussion. So, Chris, Food Merger Monday. Yesterday, big day for food mergers. Campbell Soup agreed to buy Snyder's Lance. They make uh, Snyder's Pretzels, most famously, for about $6 billion. Hershey's agreed to buy Amplify Snacks. Their biggest brand is uh, the Skinny Pop line of popcorn for $1.6 billion. Both acquisitions were done at about 19 times trailing EBITDA, so neither of those deals was very cheap. Hershey bought Amplify for about a 70% premium. It was more than double where shares were trading a month ago, so good for anyone who owned Amplify about a month ago. Deals are expensive, but I doubt they're the last ones we've seen. We can talk a little bit more about that, but I want to turn it over to you. What do you think about the food mergers we're seeing here, Chris, and who do you think will be next? Not terribly impressed by either of these from the buyer's perspective. As you said, prices are high, not bargains for the buyers. Campbell is paying a price right around the price that Lance paid for Diamond Food. That was kind of the obvious analog comp deal. But that deal didn't work out that great. It wasn't a big winner. At the same time, I think the buyers are kind of in just do something mode. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the people within the corporation, and even from some shareholders, these kind of big, perhaps somewhat lethargic companies are trying to shake things up. So yeah, this is going to be a, I would be long the bankers who advise them and the lawyers who advise them, if not the buyers here for continued uh, food consolidation. Yeah, look, I think that's exactly right. I think the big CPG companies, uh, consumer packaged goods, they're desperate for growth. They have access to extremely cheap capital capital with interest rates still this low. And I think a lot of them are thinking right now it is eat or be eaten. Yeah. And look, the, even the largest of the large food players have very demanding owners who are pushing them to do something to boost shareholder returns. You know, Third Point has a big stake in Nestle. Kraft Heinz is backed by 3G and Warren Buffett. It's Buffett's, I think right now it's his second biggest position, but basically Wells Fargo, Apple, and Kraft Heinz are all tied for the biggest around $25 billion. Mm -hmm. And then Bill Ackman at Pershing Square is a large investor in Mondelez. So you've, even the largest of the large are not immune from shareholder demands pushing them to do something. They have cheap capital. They have big synergies when they buy something, and they don't have a lot of growth. So I think right now they really are looking to go buy. You know, I agree with you. I think the prices are large. I think the buyers are paying big premiums. There's no doubt there's synergies in these deals. But the question is, will the synergies match the premiums they're paying? You know, I think it's very questionable. You look at Campbell Soup. Just a couple of years ago, they did a big deal that the returns from that have been, I think it was like a, a deal to get into carrots or something. The returns from that have been pretty poor and they had to write it off. Hershey's just last year bought Crave Beef Jerky. One thing I noticed in this deal was there was basically no mention of Crave in either the acquisition or the Hershey's 3Q earnings call. Not a great acquisition, but great jerky. I, I really do like beef, their beef jerky. But, you know, if... if if Crave, which is beef jerky, it should sell in pretty much a close aisle to Skinny Pop. 
if it was going well, you think they'd be highlighting synergies between these two. And they just weren't pushing anything there. So I think you're exactly right there. At the smaller end, you keep dealing with entrance, too. It's kind of a fashionable, a millennial of food has startups and very well-financed startups that can pop at a decent scale. Uh, One of the places I always look, it can be a depressing topic for anybody who kind of spent too much energy trying and failing on the corporate side, and in some cases for the investor side, but the potential to retrade failed deals. You know, you look back, uh, you had mentioned that you'd had deals that were tried and failed in the past. You know, maybe somebody makes another run at Hershey. I mean, I think the uh, Unilever example, that was very clearly hard pushback from the company, but maybe somebody could end up uh, in a deal for Hershey. Yeah. So just as a reminder, Mandela's bid for Hershey last year and Hershey rejected them. They're the company that's now buying Amplify. Kraft Heinz bid for Unilever earlier this year and Unilever actually rejected them. So I think you're exactly right. We could see a re-explore of these deals. And I think you're exactly right on the startup side. You know, a big theme on this podcast has been the barriers to entry for these big consumer companies have come way down. You know, Kellogg's brought RX Bar for $600 million over the summer. Two, three years ago, nobody had even heard of RX Bar. It was just starting up. Dollar Shave Club, just out of nowhere. The, the ability to reach consumers and kind of go around these big entrenched distribution has come way down. Amongst my kind of younger friends that I'm really impressed by, I know of nobody who says that I want to work for a big CPG company. I know a half dozen friends that want to start a small food company yep. and are somehow involved on the entrepreneurial side. Also, Kraft Heinz has shown its cards. Uh, it's proved its interest as a buyer. So having had that failed buyer, you know, they could come back as well. Hain is one. Their shareholders are clearly encouraging it. And both sides are under shareholder pressure, as you said, with some of the buyers like Nestle trying to do something. And Hain would be a big corporate tax reform beneficiary. Yeah. Hain, which uh, makes Terra chips. They've got the teas. I can't, the, the name of the teas are escaping me. They've got the Garden of Eden brand. Yeah. But they, they've got a, they've got a bunch of uh, little different brands. They've been rumored that Nestle wants to buy them. That is certainly an interesting one. It would be interesting to see how managed it could be from both shareholder perspectives, because you have large shareholder activists kind of could push for it on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I think third point's letter to Nestle was, you are not growing. You you said you would be this uh, steady organic growth business. You haven't been able to do that. They need to do something to change it. I think Nestle just did a big purchase of a supplement company for about $2 billion, but the, the general pushback there was, hey, it's only $2 billion. Nestle's a huge $200 billion plus behemoth. If they want Hain, they can go grab Hain as well. Anything else on the food side or should we turn over to just general Berkshire? Let's turn to Berkshire. Great. So yeah. So as I said earlier, Berkshire passed $300,000 per share earlier this week. If you own one or two shares of Berkshire and you've held on them for a long time, you've done very well. So good for you. You know, I want to save our 2017 and 2018 predictions for our first podcast of 2018, but we'll make an exception for Berkshire in light of 300,000 and use the opportunity to review Berkshire's year and maybe talk about their outlook for 2018. So Chris, I'll turn it over to you. What do you think about Berkshire? Well, the milestone is fun. It's almost meaningless in and of itself. But as much as I like to say, oh, it's meaningless uh, per share, it's not completely meaningless. A lot of my favorite publicly traded asset allocators have these very high per share prices. Daily Journal back in the day, uh, Markel, White Mountains, Allegheny, Berkshire itself have never really a split and are happy to have these big share prices. So that's kind of fun to see that. Mm-hmm. I only have met 
one person who I know fairly well, who is a very early shareholder. And we were talking at some point when I was very young, I was getting excited about Berkshire. And he said, well, you know, that, that, that first 150,000% that he had, that really does make the difference. You know, if you <laughs> put a decent amount of your money into it, you know, and then, so he wasn't too worried about whatever happened next percent here or there. You know, I saw someone on Twitter who's talking about, you know, Warren Buffett, his first block of stock in Berkshire was like $7 per share. And remember, this is the early 60s. Right. So at the time, you didn't have E-Trade for $95 per share. And they were talking about, hey, look, he probably paid $50, $60, $100 to get this first block of shares done. Mm-hmm. You know, if he had just had a $5 trading site and he could have brought that commission down, like that in and of itself would be an extra 20 50 100 million at the way that it's compounded, which is kind of funny to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. So somewhat of a quiet year uh, this year for him. He tried a couple big things. And these uh, pipe deals, I think they're always great to get the discount, somewhat indicative of he's in a position where he talks a lot about how you can use scale at the small end to participate in things that larger investors can't do. But he at the large end is participating in things that less connected, smaller investors can't do. And so he's kind of creating his own luck, even if he doesn't look out broadly at a market that is just kind of cluttered with Berkshire type companies at Berkshire type prices, he can get Berkshire type prices in the companies he wants. Yeah. So look, I think you're exactly right. It was a very quiet year for them. I I pulled up their press release website earlier and the only acquisition I saw there was uh, they bought Pilot Flying J, the truck stock company, in October. There was a big, almost fifteen to twenty billion dollars deal to buy the Texas distributor Encore mm-hmm. out of bankruptcy earlier this year, but they actually got outbid in the bankruptcy process, so that didn't go through. You mentioned the pipes that they've been doing, and you know it's interesting. Buffett is. He wants to do deals, right? Uh, by year end, after after some earnings and some investments have been paid off, I think they're going to be close to $120 billion in cash by year end. And he says he wants to do big deals. His elephant gun is fully reloaded. It will reload quickly till the end of time, given the underlying level of earnings over there. I think he's inching to put that to work. I bet he's disappointed he didn't get to in 2017. What do you think 2018 holds for him? I don't know. Can you get to uh, call it $100 billion of deal targets for Buffett, assuming he wants to see keep some of that cash? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's tough to get there. I think, could he take all of Kraft Heinz over? I think that's a possibility. Uh, that would probably consume... 80, 90, 100 billion of cash. And obviously, look, you've got to remember, he can raise debt to do a deal too. So it's not like when we say 120 billion, he's limited to one 120 billion deal. He could do 450, he could do 730 or something. I don't know, but he could do a lot. An airline, you know, he's been very bullish on the airlines. I don't think the airline stocks have performed that well since he did his investment. Does he take a Southwest private? Was, uh, that was the first yeah. one. Oh, we, we hadn't coordinated. The first one I had on my list was Southwest, $39 billion. That gets you about 40% of the way that was the first one. Yeah, it, the culture seems to fit well with him. I think he could do that. I don't know if he, I don't, while he bought the stocks, I mean, maybe he would want to take a full airline over. That, that comes with some union headaches and stuff that I, he might be scared off by. Other than the economic factors, the variables I was thinking about were companies that have tipped their hands that they'd be willing to sell and have management in place, mm-hmm. planes, trains, and automobiles, uh, things that he knows well that he's invested in the past that he has a thesis on, but also an industry where it's become fairly clarified 
what the roster is that you kind of have uh, been shaken out pretty well. I think Southwest would be uh, fit the bill would be a size that he could do. He has never sounded that strong between the other of the major airlines. He thinks it's more of an industry thesis than individual company thesis. But I think Southwest is the one that if he buys one in that industry, it could be. Yeah. Speaking of planes, trains, and automobiles, I mean, I think the most obviously one is he's probably going to buy Tesla next year, I guess. <laughs> no, I was actually going to say, <laughs> I, what, I are, just the, what are the companies you, yeah, that are just... the least likely? And I was going to go with the uh, new uh, Bitcoin-related companies. I, I think he's I think he's not going to buy any cryptocurrency equities. I think it's not gonna be, it could be GM. GM would be $60 billion and GM's cheaper than Tesla. And and he already has a lot of thought about how much runway you have before the self-driving cars. Through We know that through Pilot Flying J. We know that through Geico. He's and, you know, I think it's a totter Ted investment, but Berkshire does own a billion or two of GM. So they have some GM stock. And that's clearly a business they know and are familiar with, you know, is speaking along those themes, one that I thought would be way, way out there, but I could see some possibility. And I think of the first person to really mention it, CSX Railroad. They just had their their CEO died kind of unexpectedly over the weekend. It would be a mega, mega merger fraught with tons of antitrust risk. But could I see them taking a shot at it? Could it make America great again? Yeah. On, under this administration, maybe you do that. You agree to a lot of divestitures to uh, a couple other railroads, and you promise to you know hire 10,000 jobs, invest... $10 billion into infrastructure. Maybe this is the administration to try that type of super mega merger under. That's one that comes to mind. I don't know if you want to comment on that or I've got one more that I no, kind of that's, that's a very good thought. What's your next? Yeah, So this is probably my furthest out there. But if, if AT&T Time Warner is blocked next year, is there a chance Buffett buys all of Time Warner? I think it would be an extremely low chance. They don't have any media investments now, but he has a history in the media industry. You know, he was a big investment in Cap Cities. He was he was a driving force behind Cap Cities, ABC's merger. I mean, he knows a lot about that industry. If he could get the right price and he has the right viewpoint, look, he invested in newspapers, so he's comfortable investing in industries with a shaky outlook long term. Could he do that? That's absolutely a possibility. And then I've got one more, but I'll let you comment. I was, on this. I was thinking about media properties. What newspapers are left that he could shake loose? Time on a smaller scale. Time Warner's for sale. Now I think there are a lot more likely buyers. But if everyone is scared off, because look, Time Warner's only for sale if AT and T is blocked. If everybody's scared off by the regulatory risks, I, I, I have to think that's a shot. And then. The last one I thought of was doing something in the telecom space. You know, Sprint is making a big investment. We already know that Masa Sun reached out to Warren Buffett and John Malone for an investment over the summer. Could he do some type of mega deal with Sprint, finance a Sprint merger with some kind of unlikely telecom party? I don't know, but that's kind of the third out there choice I thought of where there's been some rumors and he's got some history in that business. And Masasan pushes so hard that you yep. could literally just show up in uh, Omaha and kind of have a plug and play offer that's a decent enough offer to take. Exactly. Uh, but he's so audacious that uh, he knows where he knows where Buffett lives. I have two more. Can I? Uh, yeah, go, go for it. Go for it. Exalta. You know, I'm always interested again in these busted deals. Exalta has had two rounds of failed deal talks. They very much established where the ask is in the. Uh, I'm not deal familiar with the company, price. and I'm sure. Oh, our, so, our oh, listeners, oh, sorry. So why don't you- ticker AX. 
T-A. Uh, oh, the paint uh, company. Yeah, the paint, paint company. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so this is another industry where the roster is getting clarified. You have, and then these guys are kind of a number four player or so. A lot of the failure in talks was not price related. It was kind of cultural issues. The management wanted jobs mm-hmm. and they're not that bad. They could uh, end up a, a Berkshire Hathaway company with a job and uh, the, the bid ask, call it approximately a share price in the low 30s. Bids were high uh, 30s in cash, low 40s in equity, but they weren't getting the deal they wanted structurally. Berkshire could come in. And don't forget, Berkshire also owns Benjamin Moore Paint. Yep. So there's obviously synergies. synergies He's yep. got some industry history. No, I think you're exactly right. And look, Berkshire likes to buy companies and keep the management on and management clearly wanted to roll. I, I think you're exactly right that that is a possible deal. And I, you had one more? I have my last one. Of Warren Buffett should make a major purchase with a lot of this money of Berkshire Hathaway after the tax bill. If you look at the economics of buying back shares at 1.2 times book value, which he bumped from 1.1 times, he could massively expand that and still have very similar economics to what he was doing before. If you look at what their book is worth on a number of grounds, including First of all, they own a lot of equities that are going to be really impacted in banks. That's very tax sensitive. But Berkshire is a fairly uh, tax rate sensitive company. They're going to be massively benefited. No, I, I think you're exactly right. Look, not only do they pay the taxes on their earnings, not only were their stocks likely benefit from that, but look, they, they've got tons of capital gains in Coke and uh, in all these other companies that they invested in years ago. And a lot of that deferred tax liability is just going to fall away from their balance sheet. So book value is going to go up. I think earnings go up. I think their stocks do really well. And, you know, I think that relates well to something we said at the beginning. He was disappointed he couldn't do a deal in 2017. The company generates huge amounts of cash flow. At this point, it's tough to see how he could do enough deals to park that all. A share repurchase or some form of capital return is 100% likely in the next three to five years. Why not start next year while the share price is still a little and uh, take care of some of that Warren, cash? Warren Buffett probably in his head can do, he might pull out a pencil, but in his head he can do the math that you were just talking through. I mean, he, he I think he thinks like that. And if you just play with what, what 1.2 times book value was when he started that, you could easily do, I mean, I think it's 1.5, but let's call it in dollar terms for talking about an A share that's at 300-ish now, uh, you know, 10 percent, 15% higher. It's still a great buyback. I think you're exactly right. And I think that helps take care of a lot of that capital allocation problem too. So why don't we end it there? That is all the time we have for not just today, but for this year. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. Chris, we'll hit disclosures in a second, but any last thoughts on the year before we sign off? Uh, No last thoughts on the year. Uh, Look for the last sentence on Berkshire, maybe some more utilities. Maybe Greg Abel is uh, looking to be the operations leader of of Berkshire in the future. So he's going to have a bigger portfolio. So disclosure, we're we're long Berkshire, we're long Time Warner, we're short a little AT&T against that Time Warner long, and we will talk to you guys next year.